let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We're so grateful that we get to be a part. We get to partner with you, Father, to see amazing things happen, to see lives transformed, to see people encouraged, to see hope and joy imparted into people's lives. And so, Father, we just open our hearts to you right now, and we ask you and we invite you to have your way. Lord, as your message goes forth, Holy Spirit, as you teach us, challenge us, convict us, we embrace and we open ourselves to your conviction, your challenge, because, Lord, we want to change. We are not satisfied with where we are right now. We want to become more and more like Jesus. So we open our hearts and we say yes to you, Jesus. We ask you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it arose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and called it and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you O Bethlehem in the land of Judea, Judah are not least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for all my, all for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them that the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I too can go and worship him. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the child, excuse me, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Then they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, and when it was time to leave, they returned to their old country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So we see that there's these wise men who, came, who come from far away. They come from the east. And they come to find Jesus, the baby Jesus, so they can worship him. And it says that they brought him three gifts, three types of gifts, or three gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. One thing, it doesn't, you know, tradition, as you see in this, um, this nativity scene, tradition says that it was three wise men. The Bible doesn't say that it was three wise men. Now, I believe we get three because of the three gifts that were named, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, actually, there were at least more than one because it says wise men, so we know it's plural, but it could have been a whole entourage. It could have been 10, 12. And I don't believe, this is, now, of course, this is my, a lot of what we get out of the story is speculation because we, don't, we weren't there, so we don't know actually what happened. But I believe it was, quite a, it was a number of, of men who came to worship this king, I think they were wise because they came to worship the right person. First of all, that's just a personal thing. But when they came, 
I don't think it was necessarily that one gave him gold, one gave him frankincense, and one gave him myrrh. Because, you know, thinking of these guys traveling from a long ways, they, you know, probably a number of them gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Some of them might have just given him a bunch of gold. Some of them could have just given him frankincense or myrrh. But it was interesting because they brought him three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's a lot of speculation on what the gold, frankincense, and myrrh means and all that kind of thing. I don't want to get into all that because that's not the point of my message. However, the gifts that they brought were very expensive, very valuable. And so these guys were bringing great value to someone that they came to worship. They brought their best, so to speak. And what I want to talk about, you know, this is the Christmas season. We worship our King Jesus. This is the season when he was, now, we know that he wasn't born on December 25th. I mean, hope if I just spoiled somebody's surprise, I'm sorry. But um, um, actually, he wasn't born on December 25th, or maybe he was. Who knows, right? But it's the time that we celebrate the King Jesus coming from heaven, coming to earth. And so we celebrate this time in remembering him and hopefully encouraging other people to do the same. Now, they brought very valuable gifts. And the name of this uh, message today is your gift to the king. Your gift to the king, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Did everybody get one of those little gift boxes, piece of paper, and a pen, something to write with? Is there anybody here that did not receive? Actually, let me grab one. So, anybody not get one of these little gift boxes or a piece of paper or a pen? Anybody? Okay. Make sure everybody has one. It's important that you have a gift box, a piece of paper, and something to write with. Out of pens? Okay. There are some more. Oh, there's some right there at the back at the uh, sound booth. Is that a basket, the other basket still out there, Ken, or have they all been put in one basket? Okay. Raise your hand again so he can see. We've only got one. Anybody else? Oh, paper. Let's go ahead and take them. There you go. Over here on this side. Need a pen? Oh, you just need a pen? 
She's got one for you. Need a pen? Need some more pens up here? We need a pen? Where's there's a box? You got the pens? Oh, there they are right there. Ah. Gotcha. No, we got some more. There you go. Oh, I guess I need a pen too. <laughs> Okay, so everybody covered now? Everybody's got a box, piece of paper, and a writing instrument. All right. Now I want to talk about three gifts. Three gifts I believe the Father wants us to bring to him. They're going to be our best, our best gifts. And you know, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, actually, this is going to be a gift exchange. Because when you bring these to Jesus, he's going to give you something in, in return. And typically, what he gives us is a whole lot better than what we give him. Right? So, and I, so I want to invite you to participate in this amazing gift exchange. So the three gifts they brought to Jesus were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I believe there are three gifts that the Father wants us to bring to his son Jesus, King Jesus. First one, unfulfilled dreams. What do you do when you believe that God has spoken a promise to you and it still hasn't been fulfilled? What are you doing with that? Maybe you received a prophetic word many, many years ago. Maybe you received prophetic word over and over and over again many, many years ago. And it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't been fulfilled. What are you doing with that? Maybe there's a desire of something you've been praying for for quite some time. And it still hasn't been experienced or realized. So my question is, what are you doing with that? Unfulfilled dreams. The second gift Major disappointments. I mean major disappointments, not, oh, the Cowboys lost last week. I'm not talking about that kind of disappointment. I'm talking about disappointment on a higher level. Maybe your marriage or your parents' marriage didn't work out like you thought it would, and it ended in divorce. You know, my parents got divorced when I was young. That was not what I was expecting, and it definitely wasn't fun. But maybe you, as a Christian... Definitely expected your marriage to last until death do you part, and that didn't happen. Maybe by now, you fully intended to be married, and that hasn't happened yet. These major disappointments, things that you're expecting to happen that didn't happen. Maybe you didn't get that raise or that bonus that you were expecting or hoping for or actually counting on. Maybe there was a promotion that you were expecting and you fully anticipated and then the boss gave it to somebody else. Maybe you haven't been invited to participate in that ministry in church that you believe that you're called to, that you believe that you're supposed to be doing. And it hasn't happened. You know, disappointments like this or what about the person or the people that you prayed for, you even believe you had a word from God, or there were prophetic words that they were going to get healed, and they ended up dying. 
those kind of disappointments that I'm talking about. And my question is, what are you doing with them? Because if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you have major disappointments or you have unfulfilled promises? If you're older than three years old, (laughs) you'd probably raise your hand. I mean, I guarantee you'd raise your hand because we've all experienced these things. And the third gift, offenses, resentments and bitternesses. Someone close has betrayed you. Someone has said some very hurtful things to you or about you. Or you've been offended by Christians. I mean, anybody, but specifically Christians. I've talked to a lot of people. There are a lot of people who are not inside church anymore. They don't intend to go to church anymore because of this very thing. They've been hurt. They've been devastated. And I'm not, again, I'm not talking about trivial stuff. To the observer, it may seem trivial, but to the person who is affecting you, it's not trivial at all. You know, what about the president who's been elected, Trump? Some people are like, cool. Some people are devastated. I mean, extremely devastated. And to some, that may be, oh, get over it. It's no big deal. But then they could say the same thing about the hurts, the disappointments that you're experiencing. So my question is, what are you doing with these things, these three gifts? Now, you may not have all three of these gifts, but you probably have one or maybe two of them. Or maybe you've experienced all three of these, unfulfilled dreams, major disappointments, and offenses. You know, I've shared with many of you over years that I've been taken to court and drugged into a fierce court battle to protect the ministry and a group of men. I was doing the right thing, representing right goodness, and I was, I was taken to court, fighting for the lives of these men who, if the court battle would have been lost on my part, they'd have been kicked out on the street, and many, of, if not all of, them, all of them, would have ended back up in prison. And I found myself fighting for my life. I became very resentful and bitter and angry. I mean, the type of bitterness where you want to set aside your Christianity just for a few minutes so you could physically hurt people. That kind of, you know, when you you dream of hurting the person that you're bitter at and you wake up in a good mood. That's the kind of bitterness I'm talking about. I've been there. Been there. And some of you have been there, and and some of us may still, still be there. I've spent many hours of frustration and discouragement agonizing over unfulfilled promises, or seemingly unfulfilled promises, unanswered prayer, unmet desires, where it's like, God, I thought you said this. When is this going to happen? And you just spend hours and hours of just of just your mind rolling and racing, and, and you're thinking, when is this going to happen? And it's not happening, doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon. Just frustration. I remember there's a, it's a, it takes me 17 minutes to get from my house to, to the church. And I just remember day after day after day just driving by, driving, and just frustrated, just living in that frustration. It's like, man, when is this going to happen? Man, God, come on, God. 
Maybe you know somebody who's experienced that as well. But what has stopped me in my tracks, almost stopped me in my tracks, concerning my relationship with God, were major disappointments. I mean the kind where, now a number of us have had people, well, probably were, they got sick, they got deathly ill, and you expected them to get healed because you believe what the word says, you prayed for them, even fasted and that kind of thing, prayed, believing God, put your heart out there, put your faith and expectation out there, and they, they passed away, they died. Well, imagine that several times over. When you give yourself to people, when you, when you join in the battle, when someone is dying, on the verge of dying, and you join in the battle, you link hearts with them and say, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to pray. I believe God wants to heal you. And you're praying, and you give yourself to that. And then there's prophetic words that come, and spoken, and declarations made, and then a person goes on to heaven. And that happens time, and time, and time, and time again. When you, when you invest time, major time, major money, into you believe God's telling you to do something, and you do it, and the result was not what you anticipated. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That scenario happening several times over almost took me out. It almost took me out. And I was even pastor here as I am now during this time when I was dealing with that. So those are the three gifts. The Holy Spirit is touching your heart. And right now I know many of you are thinking of the very scenarios that you're like, yep, that one, that one, that one. And so Holy Spirit is saying, hey, remember, it's my birthday. We're celebrating. And I want you to bring these gifts. Because these aren't small things we're talking about. So what do we do? How do we, you know, when these wise men traveled from afar, they traveled from far away. And then they gave, when they got here, they gave those gifts to the king. Here's how you get on the path of bringing your gifts to Jesus. Number one, you have to give up your need to understand. You have to surrender your right or your need to understand. See, when I realize during a prayer time, when I was talking to the Lord and, and I was just praying and going through the motions, you see what happened was when I was going through this frustration and this major disappointment, major heartache, I was still able to go through the motions. So on the outside, you couldn't tell that I was dealing with this, but on the inside, it was definitely a lot of churning going on. So I was being a good little Christian boy, and I was praying and still seeking the Lord and everything, and he put his finger on something. And he showed me, he says, that right there, what you have, like in your hand, says you feel like you have to understand. Because it was like, God, why did this not happen? Why did they die? I thought you told me to do this. Why, why, why is it not working out like I thought? And what had happened is I had positioned myself, I didn't realize this, but I had positioned myself, kind of drew a line on the ground, and say, God, I'm not moving forward until I understand. 
And so what had happened is what became an idol? What was I given preeminence to? My need to understand. And he put his finger on it. He said, son, what's that right there? I said, it's mine. Can't have it. And I remember him dealing with me, and it took me some time. When I realized what was going on, it took me some time. And then I remember, I came, just like these wise men did, and I gave it to the king. I said, here, my need to understand, I'm giving it to you. And guess what happened? I still don't understand. He didn't say, oh, now that you gave it to me, now I will help you understand what's going on and why I do things the way I do or why. He didn't do any of that. Basically, he said, son, do you trust me? That's what I was wrestling with. Do I trust you? I said, Jesus, I give you my right to understand. That's the first one. Number two, you have to give your right, give up your right to be offended. You must give up your right to be offended. Because see, if I share with you what this person said or did to me, you're going to pretty much agree, wow, that was wrong. You're going to agree with my offense. As a matter of fact, you might take up offense against them too. That's what happens a lot of times. Something happens to you, you tell your friend, and then they're offended at the same person, and they don't even know their name. But they're offended. They've taken up offense on your behalf. You have a right to be offended because that was wrong what they said, what they did, how he treated you, how he betrayed you. That was wrong. You have a right to be offended. Does a dead man get offended? If a man is dead and you cuss him, you, you, you betray him, you do all kinds of things, is he going to be offended? Is he going to wake up and say, I'm offended and go back to sleep? Yeah, you hope not. That would be pretty scary, wouldn't it? Jesus said, those who want to come after me must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. In other words, when Jesus was taking his cross, where was he going? He was going to die, right? He was going to die. So as followers of Christ, we were walking dead men. You know, when I learned this on a movie a long time ago, when the guy, when they were being walked to the, 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 um, Electrocution place. And they were, they were, you know, dead men walking. You know, dead men walking with them changing everything. In other words, they were walking. They're still alive, but they're on their way to death. I wasn't going to say the name of the movie. Yes, there was the Green Mile. See, we were, when we're following Jesus, we were, emphasis on word, dead men walking, which means take up your cross. You're going to die. A dead man has no rights. But see, it's not just about, some people get stuck on, you know, we're to take up our cross daily and, and be dead men walking. But no, remember, those who have been buried with him in death should also live with him in resurrection, right? We don't want to forget that part. That's the most, well, actually, both of them are important, but we, we are to walk and live daily in that part, the resurrection, we die daily, but we also live daily as unto him. But however, where do we get the right, or where do we get the notion or the thought that I have a right to be offended? If I'm a slave, if I'm a servant of the Most High, if I am no longer my own, but bought with a price, I am no longer my own. 
That means I have no rights other than ones he gives me, right? I mean, am I making this up or is that true? So then where do I get the right to be offended? Exactly. I don't. Then why do I take it? Why am I living in this offense? Why is offense a part of my daily life? And I agonize and I drive 17 minutes to and from work in just this anguish, wondering what's going on, being offended at what these people are doing to me. Where did I pick that up from and feel justified in it? And again, the, the worst offenses, the worst attacks on your character, you still do not have a right to be offended. Now, you can take up that offense, obviously, but you have to lay down. If, you want to walk, if you're on your journey to bring King Jesus these gifts, you have to lay down your right to be offended. And instead, use the power and tools that he gives you. The Bible tells us to forgive, right? Jesus didn't say, he didn't just say, well, forgive. I know that person hurt you, forgive him. He gives you the grace, the ability, the power to forgive. He gives you tools to be able to walk in forgiveness. Remember, folks, what, what makes us different than the, than the non-Christian, the non-Jesus follower, is the grace of God. And I'm not talking about, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm talking about grace, the power to live the way he's called me to live. That's what I'm talking about. I've, I've received, I've been given. He's given me the power to live above offense. So number one, you have to give up your right to understand. Number two, you have to give up your right to be offended. And number three, I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus told a story, and here's why. I mean, the Bible says, here's why Jesus told the disciples this story. So that they would always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. So this is why he's telling us this story. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. <laughs> Men don't say it. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think, now check this out. Even this unjust judge rendered the decision in the end for this lady. And he says, so don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now check this out. I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? 
When he, let's see, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. See that word quickly? Everybody say quickly. Herein lies a problem. Does anybody else see this problem besides me? Okay, quickly to me means something. Quickly to Jesus must mean something totally different. I'm like, Jesus, I know you're not late, but um, getting back to our right to understand. See, right here, he says quickly. See, God sees things from a totally different perspective. And I was thinking about this the other day. If you look at, for example, just so our brain might be able to wrap itself around it, if you're looking at from the perspective of a billion years, wouldn't 50 years be quickly? A billion years or 50 years? That's pretty quick, isn't it? It's like, oh, his time frame is a little bit different than mine. The point I'm trying to make is right here he says he will give justice. He, he will answer the prayer. Remember the reason why he told the story. So that we would always pray and never give up. Then he tells this story. And then he has the audacity to say quickly. I'm like, come on now. We don't understand. That doesn't make sense to us. There's a lot of things in the kingdom. There's a lot of ways that God does things. We have no understanding. Some things he may give us the privilege of understanding. I mean, because how many times have you not understood something? And then years later, it's like, that makes perfectly sense. And then there are some things we may not understand until we're standing face to face with them. We just, we may not. So, but if I'm holding on and saying, God, until you help me to understand, I'm not going anywhere, you might be standing for a long time. And so right here, he says it will be quick, but that's got to mean something different than what my brain, brain means. But, and, and he says, but when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Then Jesus is asking a question. Well, because apparently people were struggling with continuing to pray, 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 pray. Back to those, to those uh, unanswered, unfulfilled prayers, unfulfilled promises. Still praying, still praying, still praying. There's a verse in Hebrews 11. Excuse me, yeah, 11.13, it says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They, now, check this out. This gets even more crazy. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Hebrews 11.6 says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who... Sincerely or diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So therefore, what pleases God? Say it one more time. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what pleases God? Faith. Jesus says, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? What is he looking for? What does he desire in us? What does he want from you?
Keep praying and believing for that promise or desire. So here's the third thing you need to do. Keep praying and believing for that promise or desire until you get breakthrough or until you go to heaven. Whichever comes first. If you believe God has promised you something, then keep praying, keep contending, keep wrestling until you get it or you go to heaven. Then you can explain what he meant by the whole thing. However, you need to position your heart to where you can aggressively pursue him and his promises and at the same time, trust him with the results. Is that possible? To aggressively pursue him, to believe in him for the promises or the desired thing, but still trust him with the results. That's where I find myself now. And that is a better place to be than in that place of frustration saying, well, I'm not going anywhere until you show me what's going on. When I was stuck in that place of not understanding, I was becoming very passive when it came to praying for people. Those of you who know me, have known for a long time, know that I like to pray for people, people who are sick and that kind of of thing, because of what the word says. I've seen many wonderful people get healed. I've seen wonderful, crazy, cool stuff. But I've also seen people go to heaven. And by the way, heaven's not a bad place. I'm just saying. But I found myself backing off. I found myself becoming passive. I remember I was going through the outward motions, but on the inside, I was cool. my affection for God was cooling off. What was happening was I was becoming offended at him. I was becoming offended at God. How do you know if you become offended at him? You're not, you're not pursuing him. You've cooled off in your pursuit. But once I gave that thing back to him, my right to understand, I gave it back to him. Now I find myself back in an aggressive, matter of fact, even more aggressive than I used to be. In an aggressive posture of Jesus, I'm coming after you because you're awesome. I love you. I'm going to get everything I can. I'm going to know you as intimately as I can. I mean, I'm going after him again. And I don't understand things more than I did before. That hasn't changed. But my heart and my posture has changed. The things that I believe this has been over, some things have been over 20 years, 22 years that I believe God said he was going to do, and it hasn't happened yet. I have postured myself. I daily remind him, Hey, God, just in case you forgot, remember this over here. And I make declarations. And sometimes I even ask him, God, did I hear you wrong? Did I? Because if I, if I miss this, if you didn't say this, but I'm believing for this, and just tell me and I'll quit. And I don't hear anything. So it's like, well, okay. That being the case, I give you a chance. That being the case, I'm still going to keep asking. Pray always and not give up. That's why Jesus told the parable. Pray always and not give up. And what I want to caution you with, one thing I want to caution you with, please don't, in in the midst of your discouragement, frustration, unanswered prayer, people not getting healed, please do not make doctrine. Many people will come up and formulate and grab a hold of doctrines 
to bring comfort. And it may bring temporary comfort to your brain. It's like, okay, that makes more sense. (sighs) Okay. But then what happens is your faith gets undercut. And remember the thing that pleases God is faith. And so I do not want to align myself with a doctrine that may give me temporary comfort, but may destroy my faith. Number four, the things you need to do. Number one, give up your need to understand. Number two, give up your right to be offended. Number three, keep praying and believing and not giving up on that. And number four, choose to put your trust in God and his goodness. Believe that he has your best interest at heart. You have to put your trust in God and not in man. Man will let you down. I will let you down. People will let you down. He won't. Your trust cannot be in man, and we need to stop trying to position ourselves in front of men to get the fulfillment of what we believe God is saying. You know, for example, some of you, maybe there was a, a job promotion or whatever, and you're trying to position yourself in front of your boss to look good or sound good or whatever, thinking, okay, if he sees me, then maybe he's going to go ahead and give me that promotion or give me that raise or whatever it is. And we're, we're posturing ourselves in front of people. And we even say, well, the Bible says a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. And it does say that. Does that say which great men? And does it say all the time? No. I may be trying to posture myself in front of a person, and it may be the wrong person. I may be trying to go after this opportunity because this opportunity looks like it's going to fulfill the calling that God has for me, and I may be in the wrong location. It may be way over here. I cannot position myself before men. I cannot look to men or women to fulfill, to open that door for me. I need to position myself before God. I need to trust him and say, God, the Bible says he's the one that exalts and puts down. The Bible says to humble yourself. I just want blank. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up, lift you up in due season. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. And the reason why this is so important, because this is one of the ways we get offended in church. We get hurt. Because I'm expecting this young lady to to give me this opportunity or to help me or to do whatever. And God's like, stop. No. You're messing up my plan. The Bible says, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, not unto. If I'm trying to position myself before man. I'm I'm setting myself up for major disappointment, major frustration, and even offense. Are you hearing me? Is this making any sense to anybody? You remember that word joy that was declared earlier? 2017 is going to be the year of joy, regardless of my circumstances. It's starting to make sense to me now. 
making a lot of sense. God is wanting to invite us into some crazy, awesome joy. But there's steps we get to take. Why is this important? These things we're talking about. What's that? What's that stake? If I hold on to these things, these three things, these three gifts that I'm supposed to give to the king, but I'm holding on to them. Why is that such a big deal? Have you ever heard of disillusionment? Anybody ever heard of that? Bitterness, resentment. Let's see. Joy. Disillusionment. Joy. Bitterness. Resentment. Hurt. Misunderstanding. Many, many, many Christians live in this garden over here. God is saying, I want you over here. That's why he's wanting us. See, God is saying, these are the gifts I want you to give my son. I want you to give these things so you can experience the fullness of the joy that I have for you. Are you willing to give him your unfulfilled dreams? Are you willing to give him your major disappointments? And are you willing to give him your offenses? And remember, there's an exchange. Probably what you're going to give him or what he's going to give you is going to be a whole lot more than what we give him. He has so much for us. Okay, so here's what I'd like you to do. This is why you have that piece of paper. I want you to begin to write on the piece of paper what it is that, that God's wanting you to give to him. Whether it's a person that's offended you, you're hurt, or an opportunity, or whatever, a dream, um, a disappointment, whatever it is. I mean, you know. Now, the reason why you're writing it on this paper is because your intent is to give it to Jesus. So if you don't intend to give it to him, then don't waste your time. Oh, yeah. Worship team, come on up. (laughs) I forgot. Thank you. You know, as you're writing, you know, I just begin to think what it looks like when you have a body of a family of people who are free, who have surrendered these things, and they're walking in the joy that he offers. And remember we talked about You know, the joy that he offers doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances. Because you can be in some crazy, horrendous circumstances and still experience the joy of the Lord. And there may be some deep valleys that you may go through where his presence and his joy is still there with you. And think of all the people out there in the world who don't have a relationship with Jesus, 
Maybe they're Christians, maybe they're churchgoers, but they have not brought these gifts to Jesus, and so they very much live in disappointment, bitterness, disillusionment. That's their daily reality. Or people who don't even have the opportunity because they don't even know Jesus. Imagine the impact you get to have on them. When they see you walking, knowing what you're going through, that you're going through some crazy stuff, but the choices that you've made to allow the grace of God to flood into your circumstances, into your life, your soul, and how that's changing you. You'll notice uh, in, in the front of the seat pockets, in front of you, there should be a little card, different colors, and on top it says, Lord, I forgive. I just want to invite you to take one of those. If you find one, there should be in seat pockets in front of you or maybe behind you. I just want to encourage you to take one of these with you. This is an effective little tool. It says, Lord, I forgive. And then what you do is you place the name of the person that that has challenged you, that has offended you or hurt you in whatever way. And you say, Lord, I forgive so-and-so. It says, Lord, I give you permission to take the judgment and bitterness out of my life. I do not want this in my life. I surrender it to you, and I ask you to remove it, to heal me where I have been wounded, to forgive me where I have sinned. I choose not to blame or hold the actions of others against them. I hereby surrender my right to be paid back for my loss by the one who has wounded me or who has sinned against me. In so doing, I declare my trust in God alone as righteous judge. Father God, bless them in every way in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This little piece of paper can set you free. Whenever someone offends you, you, it's going to happen. Okay, can I, can I make a declaration that's not fun but true? You will have the opportunity to be offended every day. Because people are going to do stuff. I mean, pulling out in front of you in, in traffic. People are going to do things. You have the opportunity to be offended. And when that happens, when someone says something or does something or something happens, then you say, Lord, I choose to forgive that person. You know, I did that literally with drivers. Lord, I, I forgive that person who just cut me off in traffic. And I pray that you bless them before I kill them. No, just kidding. <laughs> bless them. And even though that may seem so trivial, but check this out. When you get in the ha- develop the habit of forgiving, it becomes a strong muscle. So then when the bigger offenses come, you'll be able to take those things out too with, uh, with forgiveness. You understanding? Does that make sense? So take this with you and use it as often as you need to. And Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the power of the cross that we get to experience every day. And we thank you for the exchange of your grace, your power, your freedom, your joy that we get as we surrender these things to you. Lord, I speak your blessing on everyone here, and I pray that in many ways that we all experience the best Christmas we've ever had. Not necessarily monetarily or gift-wise, but, Father, the peace and the joy that we get to experience and celebrate and enjoy. And, Lord, for those that Christmas Day or Christmas season is a very trying time because of the loss of loved ones during this time, we pray for more grace. And I just pray that you would encourage them in a special way this holiday season. We thank you, Father. We love you. We give you honor and praise. And we choose to celebrate you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.